You know, Debbie and I, we've, we've had the privilege of being able to make music together for a long while, um, but it's really cool to be able to do it all together. So, <clears throat> yeah, happy anniversary. Anyways, <laughs> how's everybody doing this morning? Yeah? You know, it is Sabbath. It's the day of rest. It's the day when we get to really, um, in a very, in the most existential way, take a breath and be refreshed. And so I hope you know that today you have a maker. You have a father who sees each tear and who will hear you whenever you call. Um, if you don't know that, believe it today. <laughs> there is a God who loves you with an everlasting love. And today we have the, the privilege of, are you missing something? Today we have the privilege of hearing from that God, of being able to open up his word and, and listen to his voice. And uh, before we do, I want to give us a chance just to, to pray once more. So let's bow our heads together. Father, we want to thank you, first and foremost, just for this breath, for the spark in our minds that actually allows us to be awake to the fact that you are the God who loves and so, Lord, thank you for this privilege of being in your presence. Thank you for this privilege of being gathered together with your family. And, Lord, right now, as we open up the word, we're asking that you would sharpen our minds to, to discern your voice. Lord, cause us to be sensitive to the promptings of your Holy Spirit. There may be struggles. There may be difficulties and burdens. There may be things that ten, tend to distract us right now. And we, we ask that you would give us the the intentionality just to cast all of our cares upon you because you care for us. So thank you, Father, for being present. Thank you for taking the time to instruct us. And so we ask that you would instruct, that you would inspire, that you would transform. In Jesus' name we pray. Let everyone say, amen. 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 Today we are continuing a little bit of a mini-series that we've had all month of mission-driven God, and then now we're looking at mission-driven church, all right? Now, a couple of weeks ago, we kind of put out a challenge to see how many of us could memorize Parkwood's mission statement. Now, without looking, can anybody help me finish the sentence? Our mission is to reveal Jesus Christ to the world now in preparation for his soon return. That's why we exist. That's why God has put us here at 301 Claritina on the north side of Modesto to reach this community in such a way that we can reveal Jesus Christ to the world now in preparation for his soon return. Do you believe that this morning? Yeah. Amen. Amen. And so what we've done over the last several weeks is we have, we have looked at what it really means to reveal Jesus. Why in the world is that even a priority for us? Is it a priority for God? And yes, we, we in fact, we discovered that we, have, we serve a mission-driven God who is all about relationships. He is all about revealing himself to this world. And you know what? It was mentioned earlier in the service that next Sabbath, we're actually kicking off something called a glowathon. Does anybody know what a glowathon is? Yeah? Maybe you've heard of a marathon. 26.2 miles of of running, walking, struggling to get across the finish line, whatever. But Glowathon is 26 days of, guess what? Glowing. Yeah. 26 days of glowing. And we have a goal. Next week, um, Bill Crick from the conference office will share with us a little bit of that. But, uh, but several churches in this area, Series Church, Turlock, Modesto Westside, Modesto Central, Parkwood, we're all partnering together to do this major Glowathon in preparation for a prophecy seminar in which we hope that Jesus Christ will be revealed. Amen? 
And so that prophecy seminar starts in October. We're going to do 26 days of glowing, a customized glow track that advertises and piques interest for this prophecy seminar. Maybe you've seen the motorhome that's parked out in the back field. Have you guys seen that? Some of us have. We're like, who is that? <laughs> it's the speaker for our prophecy seminar, Chad Cruiser. Um, and yeah, he was here back in April. Maybe you remember that health seminar that we did. Anyway, so just a sneak peek. Glowathon is going to kick off. So if you haven't been, you know, if you try to run a marathon without training, you're, you're going to kill yourself, right? And so, hey, Glowathon starts next week. Get in the habit. Kind of shake off the rust of your glow fingers. Here's something for you to read, you know. Uh, look for car, car door handles that you can kind of stuff some glow and just get in the practice. We're going to have those customized glow track here with us uh, next Sabbath and for the next 26 days. And guess what our goal is? Should I tell them what our goal is? Our goal is eight tracks per person per day. Does that sound like a lot? Oh, well, okay. <laughs> well, depending on your method of, uh, of your distribution, eight tracks. Eight tracks per person per day. For a congregation this size, that could total 20,800 tracks. But we're not going to think about the 20,000. We're just going to think about eight tracks per person per day. We can do this, all right? All right? And what's cool is all the churches are trying to do this too. And so a little bit of friendly competition, peer pressure, positive peer pressure to keep each other going. Anyways, 50 ways to do it. 50 ways to do it. That's right, Anita. That's right, 50 ways. So if you've got that sheet. Anyways, Shameless plug, let's move on. Mission-driven God, mission-driven church. This is what we're about. We're about revealing Jesus Christ, and we realize that the God who prioritizes relationship, he longs to reveal himself to this world, and guess who he uses? He uses people to reach people. Amen. He uses people to reach people, and when we found the example of Jesus' first followers in John chapter 1, uh, remember Andrew and Philip, what was their immediate inclination? When they found Jesus, what was their immediate inclination? To find a friend to bring to Jesus, right? When they found Jesus, they wanted to find a friend who could find Jesus too. And this, this is a, our modus operandi as a church. We ought to seek to reveal Jesus, not just in the public, uh, but also in the personal effort of revealing Jesus through the roads of relationships. We realize that when Andrew found his brother Simon Peter, when Philip found his friend Nathaniel, it wasn't so much that they had this tricky way of inviting them. It's not like they had this compelling argument to give them, but the effectiveness of their invitation lay in the quality of their relationship. Do you remember that? The effectiveness of their invitation lay in the quality of their relationships. And two weeks ago, we kind of asked ourselves the question, well, how do we then build that kind of relationship with people? How can we build relationships of, I'll say two words, confidence and trust? How can we build those kinds of relationships? And that's what we're looking at today, Mission Driven Church Part 2, because revealing Jesus Christ to the world, which is our mission, starts with revealing Jesus Christ in our relationships. If you believe that, say amen. Revealing Jesus Christ in the broad way ought not to neglect revealing Jesus Christ in our closest borders. And so, you know, we can, we can claim this to be true, we can say this, we can do that, but if we have no meaningful relationships with people, oftentimes all of our claims, all of our words will fall on deaf ears. People don't really care how much you know until they know how much you care. 
So how do we build those relationships of trust? That's what we're going to look at today. And what we're going to do is we're going to go back to the Gospel of John. So go ahead, take your Bible. We'll go to the Gospel of John. We've been in John chapter 1, and what we're going to do today is we're going to glance at chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. We're looking at four different scenes of the life of Christ because we want to see how Jesus did it. What we're looking for is how Jesus built relationships of confidence and trust. Does that, look, does that sound like a good model to look to? How did Jesus do it? Yeah, so we're going to look at how Jesus did this. And by the way, this is kind of a, a cool little um, study, study angle that I've kind of been on for a while. Um, every now and then what I'll do is I'll, I'll open up the Gospels and I'll ask a specific question of how did Jesus do this? And so then I'll just read the Gospels with that question in mind. And so maybe you've read through the Gospels and you're like, these are familiar stories, I know all about this. Well, maybe ask a specific question and that will kind of color the way you see those stories. So, for example, several months ago, actually several years ago, I um, asked the question, how did Jesus lead people? How did Jesus make leaders around him? And I looked at the Gospels and I saw them in a completely different light. Right now what I'm doing is, how did Jesus show 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love? And now I'm looking at the Gospels and asking myself, where was Jesus' love patient? Where was he kind? How did he suffer long? Those kinds of things. Today, what we're looking at is, how did Jesus build relationships of, what were the two words? Confidence. Confidence and trust. How did Jesus do that? That's what we're looking for today. So if you have your Bibles, you're opening to John chapter 2. And if you're there, go ahead and say, Amen. Amen. All right, John chapter 2, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of blast through this. There's a lot of ground to cover. We're not going to look at the, de the, the, the details of the stories, but we'll look at the broad picture of how Jesus related with people, how he built relationships of trust. All right, John chapter 2, and maybe you remember this story. Verse 1, the Bible says, on the third day, there was a what? A wedding in, the, in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. All right, so scene number one takes place in a wedding, at a wedding. And guess who is there besides Jesus' mother? It's Jesus himself. First observation, Jesus is present. Jesus likes to be where people are. Do you believe that? Yeah. Jesus likes to rejoice when people are rejoicing. He also grieves when people are grieving. And everywhere in between, Jesus is present. Jesus is present. What's interesting to note is not just that he is present, but why he is present. In verse 3, there's a little bit of a, a crisis going on. It says, when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink, right? Mother of Jesus, who knows, hey, her helpful son has been doing so much for the last 30 plus years. This guy could probably do something, and this is a public forum, hey, they have no wine. And Jesus, notice his response in verse 4, Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, if you're reading this for the first time, maybe this sounds a little cryptic. Maybe this sounds a little bossy, like, whoa, whoa, Jesus, what's going on here? No, Jesus is kind of drawing some boundaries. He realizes, he's reading something about Mary's you know, uh, intent here. He says, what does your concern have to do with me? In other words, Jesus reads her agenda, and her agenda is that Jesus would promote himself. 
Do you follow that? Yes or no? Yeah? And Jesus, he's distancing himself from that kind of agenda. Hey, what does your concern have to do with me? And then he follows up with this statement, my hour has not yet come. In the Gospel of John, Jesus' hour is the time in which he would be glorified. Not in a glamorous, worldly type of sense, but glorified as being lifted up, not on a throne, but on a cross. And Jesus is saying, look, all eyes will be upon me sometime, but not right now. <laughs> That's not my hour right now, okay? And so Jesus is drawing a, a line here. It's not time for me to draw attention to myself. And, and, and so he wants to remain in somewhat of an anonymous fashion. And you kind of get the idea that when Jesus, he hears the concern, it's not that he's negligent of the concern, because he actually meets the need, right? He says to the servants, hey, go fill up those six water pots that are used for the cleansing of, you know, Jewish ceremonies and stuff. I'm going to give them something better, something that symbolizes a deeper cleansing. And Jesus says, fill those up, draw it out, and when they take the water to the master of the service, what do they actually take to him? Is it water still? Yes or no? No, it's wine. Notice in verse 9, when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and what? Did not know where it came from. Oh, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. Hey, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. When the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. The things that Jesus does are way better than what this world has to offer. Amen. When Jesus meets your need, he gives you something better than you could supply for yourself. And here is Jesus. And when he does this, guess what? The only people who know are the people who drew the water. <laughs> this is not a public uh, phenomenon. This is not a sideshow for everybody to say, look at Jesus. And this is the point. Jesus is present, and he's present to bless you, but he's present to bless you just for the sake of blessing you, not so that he could get some reward or gratification out of it. Do you follow that, yes or no? Jesus is present in such a way that he just wants to bless for, for the sake of blessing you. He just wants to share goodness because that's how good he is. Jesus is present in people's lives in order to love them with no strings attached. And so here is, if you would call it, trust builder number one, all right? Trust builder number one. If you're writing notes, you can write this one down. Trust builder number one from the example of Jesus at the wedding in Cana is be present. And be present not for your sake, but for their sake. Do you follow today? Yes or no? Yeah? In other words, be in people's lives to bless them, not so that you can get some recognition out of it, not so that you can gain some influence or gain traction with them, but just so you can bless them because they're God's children, and you can bless them. You know, there's, there's something ironic, I'll say this, there's something ironic of, of identifying this in the context of saying, this is how we gain relationships of confidence and trust, okay? <laughs> Do you follow the irony? Uh, okay, uh, be present so that you can gain confidence, but be present not so you can gain confidence. There, there's a little bit of irony there. Here's the point, we can be aware, we can be aware that by blessing people, we're actually gaining confidence without blessing people to gain confidence. Amen. Is that a hard line to walk? 
I believe this is what Jesus was doing. He wanted to bless people. That's just who he was. And as a result of that, he was gaining confidence and trust. He didn't have to get up front on a stage in Cana and say, look guys, I gave you that. Please look to me. No, he didn't have to do that. He just was present just because he wanted to be there and he loved people. He was present to bless. There's a statement in Ministry of Healing, page 143. You can write this down and read this later. Ministry of Healing, page 143. On that page, Ellen White is talking about how, man, the gospel is being presented to the world in a way that just, it's not impacting people. And then she says something very powerful. Ministry of Healing, page 143, she says, Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. Have you heard this before, yes or no? Wouldn't you like to know what that method is that gives true success in reaching the people? Here it goes. Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. In other words, he got close to people, not so that he could gain friends. He got close to people for their good. He mingled with people for their benefit. The sentence continues. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He sympathized with their needs, won their confidence, and then bid them follow me. So Jesus mingled with men to bless them, and that was it. And as a result of blessing them, he won their confidence. He didn't bless them to win their confidence, but as a result of blessing them, he won their confidence. I hope I'm not getting too like befuddled in all of this, but are you following today, yes or no, yeah? In other words, love people. Love people with no strings attached. Love people for the sake of loving people. And watch what happens. Your relationships will grow. Love people not to make your relationships grow, but love people just to love people. And I'll tell you, I'll be the first to admit, that's supernatural love. Because our love for people is naturally selfish. I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. Right? We need to pray, friends. We need to pray for converted hearts that will love people like Christ loved them. So trust builder number one, be present for their sake. Be present to bless, not for your sake, but for their sake. Okay, that's trust builder number one. We're going to move to another scene in John chapter 2. John chapter 2, verse 13. Now we're moving from a wedding to scene number 2 is now in the temple. Okay, John chapter 2. It says in verse 13, the Bible says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. Wait a minute, what's going on? Verse 15, when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. Is your mind painting the picture now? Jesus at first was at a wedding hanging out, wanting to bless, and now he's in a temple and there is something that rubs against the grain of his moral principle that he needs to respond to. He, casts, he cleanses the temple. He realizes that there's extortion going on, that there's embezzlement going on, and the services of God that were support, supposed to point to the Lamb of God has now turned into a commercialized industry that points people uh, to, to worldly things. And so Jesus has to draw a line. And so here's something that, that I think is really big. Jesus is not afraid of drawing boundaries. 
In verse 16, he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. I want us to notice something, that building confidence with people does not mean compromising moral principle. And so here's trust builder number two. Trust builder number one was be present for their sake, right? Trust builder number two, be willing to guard God's glory. Be willing to guard God's glory. In other words, relationships of trust must be built upon truth. And if you're thinking, hey, I'm trying to meet people where they are, I'm trying to build relationships of trust, so anything goes. No, not in Jesus' example. Building relationships of confidence and trust does not mean moral relativism. Building relationships of confidence and trust means standing for moral integrity even when it's not popular. Even when it's not politically correct. Here's the point. We, we can't misrepresent God while hoping to lead others to God. And so if along the way of building confidence and trust we're actually compromising on this or forsaking that or neglecting that, or putting this on the back burner, friends, that's actually shooting yourself in the foot. Do you follow that? Yes or no? Yeah, so trust builder number one. Be present in people's lives, but also be willing to guard God's glory while you're in people's lives. Okay, okay. So that's scene one, scene two. Now scene three. We're going to John chapter three. Actually, before we get to John chapter three, notice the last two verses of, of chapter two. It says, uh, starting in verse 23. This is John chapter 2, verse 23. It says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the, sing the signs which he did, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he, what? What does your Bible say? He knew all men. Very interesting. Jesus realizes that people are, are responding in some, some fashion of faith Although, albeit it's not necessarily the most genuine faith because it's based on signs that they see rather than the word of God. And so Jesus, he doesn't commit himself to them because he actually knows something about all men. And we've already seen this, right? When Simon Peter comes up, he says, ah, you're Cephas, you're a rock. When Nathaniel comes up to him, he says, ah, you are a true Israelite indeed. I saw you when you were under the fig tree, right? Jesus knows us. And praise the Lord, he knows us and likes us anyway. Amen. Amen. Okay? Jesus discerns our hearts, and it says in verse 25, he had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. This is a significant transition, because basically the rest of the Gospel of John, he knows people at a level that they didn't know he knew them. He knows Nicodemus. He knows the Samaritan woman. He knows the man who was laying for 38 years by the pool of Bethesda. He knows uh, all of this, all of that. He knows people. And that's what the rest of the Gospel of John kind of uh, carries on with. But what I want us to see right now is John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Go ahead and turn there. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named what? Nicodemus. Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus when? By night. This man came to Jesus by night. He has a question for him. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Almost in a kind of formal, buttering him up kind of fashion. He's about to get to his real meat. And he says, hey, look, I'm coming to you. Please help me out. I've got some questions. 
But what I want us to see is, what time did Nicodemus come to Jesus? By night, okay? And it's not like, the, 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 the narrative doesn't actually paint the place. We don't know if he's at a wedding, if he's in the temple, or where he is, but we do know the time. It's coming by night. And oftentimes we see that detail and we say, ah, oh, he came by night. He, Nicodemus didn't want to be seen by anybody. But let me ask you this question. What does Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night actually say about Jesus? He's willing to meet you. Have you ever tried to, to call somebody at night and they just click, right? <laughs> I'm in bed, click. <laughs> Here's Jesus, and he's available. Here's Jesus, and he's accessible. Here's Jesus, he's approachable. Jesus doesn't turn his cell phone off at night. Amen. This is Jesus. Maybe this also just, the fact that Nicodemus would even come to him in the first place, this is big, because he's willing to ask Jesus a question. I don't know about you, but I was one of those students who, when I was listening in class, I would have questions in my mind, but I'd be afraid to raise my hand to ask a question. Has anybody else like that? Because I had a certain insecurity that my, just the fact that I would ask that question would kind of be, um, self-incriminating that, that I don't know, I, I, I have a weakness and, and, and the teacher, oh, I don't want the teacher to think that I don't get it, you know, things like that. But here's the thing, Nicodemus actually senses that it's okay to ask Jesus a question. Have you ever been afraid to ask somebody a question? Yeah. Nicodemus isn't afraid to ask Jesus a question. Jesus doesn't make you feel insecure for not knowing. Jesus doesn't make you walk around on eggshells to get things right before you come to him? No. Jesus is available, and he's accessible and approachable. This is what I love about Jesus. And so here Jesus is. Nicodemus comes to him, and they have a very deep conversation. Very first thing Jesus says to him, verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is what? Born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God right from the get-go, out of the gate. Jesus gets to the very crux of the matter. You need conversion. And this chapter, John chapter 3, is probably the most clear passage of how to be converted. It talks about looking to the Son of Man as he's lifted up, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. You remember that story? And John chapter 3, it includes probably the most famous passage of all of Scripture. What is it? John 3, 16. All for a one-person audience. And Jesus knows this man. He knows his need. He knows he needs conversion. And what's awesome about this is that Jesus did not have to go find Nicodemus in order to have this conversation. Jesus just made himself available. He made himself accessible. Nicodemus actually was allowed to determine the time and place for his encounter with Jesus. And here's what I want us to realize, that revealing Jesus does not have to be on our schedule. When we're trying to reach out to people, it doesn't have to be on our predetermined schedule. There are times where it is highly appropriate to let someone in our sphere of influence determine the time and the way in which they can express spiritual interest. Is that true, yes or no? Yeah? In other words, we don't have to stir up the interest. We don't have to stir up a debate in order to reveal Jesus. 
Sometimes people need the space to be able to reveal their interest in their own time and way. Do you follow today? Maybe you know somebody like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For Nicodemus, he was an informed inquirer. In other words, he had his resources. He knew how to study. You know, he, he had things settled in his own mind. And so if Jesus were to pursue him, it would have been at the wrong time and in the wrong way. And there may be people in our spheres of influence who are just like Nicodemus. And we just need to be available so that when the questions are there, we're willing to let them, we're willing to let them ask. In other words, I'll, I'll say it like this, we're willing to listen. Whoa, 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 whoa. You mean revealing Jesus doesn't have to be just me talking all the time? That's right. Amen. Amen. Why? Because sometimes it's only when we're willing to listen first that people are willing to talk last. Does that make sense? Yeah? We, we open the door by being willing to listen. And so here's trust builder number three. If you're writing it down, trust builder number one, be present for their sake. Trust builder number two, be willing to guard God's glory. Trust builder number three, be available and approachable, which practically translates into be willing to listen first. Be willing to listen first. When people know that we're willing to listen they'll know that it's okay to have questions. And when we take the time to listen, that's the posture. That's when we can discern what our friends or our family members actually are looking for. You know, Proverbs chapter 18 talks about the fool who talks before he is willing to hear a matter. <laughs> Sometimes we think we know exactly what our friends need, and so let me tell you all about, no, no, no. First, what if we took time to listen? Maybe they're really not asking about uh, doctrinal questions, maybe what they really need is conversion. Have you taken the time to listen? Does that make sense? Yeah? Are we following? And so wh when we have those friends and family, maybe, maybe we can take time to listen first. Allow yourself to be available, approachable, and let them determine the time and way that they'll express their interest. Okay, let's move on. Scene number four. You ready? Scene number four is in John chapter four. John chapter 4, here's another person that Jesus knows. Here's another person that Jesus discerns. And it's in a completely different locale and time. Therefore, this is verse 1, John chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. And this is a little bit of a narrative transition here, but I think it's actually interesting that Jesus is sensitive to the factors that actually work against confidence building. He realizes, oh, wait, 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 wait. There are some things that if I were to keep pushing, it would actually be a detriment to confidence and trust in people. And so he's willing to kind of give people space. We, he's, he's willing to not unnecessarily rock the boat in order to build confidence and trust. And so he, the story continues in verse 4. My Bible says, But he, speaking of Jesus, needed to go through Samaria. What does your Bible say right there? That he had to go? He needed to go? He must go? Very interesting. He's down here in the southern portion of Israel, in the, uh, near Jerusalem, and he wants to go to Galilee, which is in the northern part of the nation, and the Bible says that he needed to go through Samaria. Now, here's the thing. The Jews had plenty of roads in order to avoid going through Samaria because Jewish-Samaritan relations weren't, weren't the friendliest. We'll say that, okay? 
And so for the, for the story to actually say that Jesus needed to go, it's not because there was a lack of options, but it's because he had the intentionality to meet someone along the way. This is a story of Jesus actually pursuing somebody. Nicodemus, Jesus was available. He let Nicodemus come in his own time and way. For the Samaritan woman, Jesus is looking for her. Okay? Jesus is looking for There are times, friends, there are times where we don't just have to sit and wait in our hands and say, I don't have any responsibility to talk to that person because they'll come talk to me when they're ready. No, there are some times where we actually need to pursue people. Do you follow that? Yes or no? Yeah? So please don't, don't, don't uh, come out of this place thinking that Pastor Godfrey is saying, I can be a lazy witness. All right? <laughs> That's not what we're going for. We're just saying, understand people. Understand people. Okay, so here we are. In verse 4, it says, But he needed to go through Samaria, and so he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about which hour? What time was it? The sixth hour, which is actually noontime. High noon. All right, complete day. Complete contrast to Nicodemus at night. Nick at night, right? And uh, here's Jesus midday, and he has to be there. He has to be there. Why? Because he knows who he's going to meet there. He meets this Samaritan woman there, and he says to her, what is it? In verse 7, a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Give me a drink. Jesus the creator of the universe, asks for help. What in the world? <laughs> What's going on here? Jesus understands this. one of the best ways to gain trust is to actually put yourself where you have to trust someone else. Did that make sense? In other words, sometimes the best way to earn trust is to show trust. Asking for a favor or asking for help actually puts you and I in a learner's position. It puts us in a position of humility and need. And sometimes people are unwilling to talk to us because we're perceived as being in a higher position. I'm holier than thou. I know much more than you. But when we ask them for help, now we put ourselves in a learner's position. I need you. And trust begets trust. Catch that. Trust begets trust. Trust engenders trust. So when we're willing to show trust, guess what? People are actually willing to give trust too. Okay? So this is big because, at least in that circumstance, because of the racial prejudices that existed, you know, Samaritan and Jewish relations, and also because of the gender prejudices that, that, that existed, male and female. This was a big thing. Jesus assumed, or Jesus was not willing to go along with the assumptions of the culture around him, and he put himself in a position of humility and trust to engage so that he could build confidence and trust. And so, when we look at the conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus and kind of compare it with the conversation that Jesus has with the Samaritan woman, what did, what, what did he talk about with the Samaritan woman? What was it? Give me some water. And she says, uh, how are you talking to me? I mean, you're a man. What? what? And then he says, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for water, right? They're just talking about water. They're just talking about, but then he gets to satisfaction. What, what really satisfies you? I can 
I can give you something that satisfies you like no nothing else. And then they start talking about relationships and things like that. And then she knows, wait a minute, you're not just a normal guy, <laughs> right? <laughs> Starts asking him about theology, theological questions, try to kind of keep him at a distance from the personal issues. But then Jesus says, hey, go find your husband. I don't have a husband. That's right, you've had five husbands, and the man that you're with, the sixth man, he's not your husband either. I'm the seventh. I can satisfy your needs. Bam! Jesus gets to the heart of her need, too. Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman. Jesus knows them, right? He discerns their heart need, and he realizes that both of them need Jesus. They just need that revelation of Jesus in a different way. For Nicodemus, he needed the revelation of Jesus as the one who can not just answer his questions, but the one who can change his life. For the Samaritan woman, she needed to know that, that Jesus is the one who can do more than just know what she needs, but actually satisfy what she needs. And so these conversations, though they are very similar, they're actually very different, and the contrast is in the manner in which Jesus approaches them. For Nicodemus, uh, Jesus is kind of forthright, almost confrontational. Do you notice that about Jesus' conversation? Hey, what you need is to be born again. Don't you get it? You're the teacher of Israel. You should get these things, right? <laughs> but for the Samaritan woman, it's more invitational and conversational. It's very interesting. For both of the people, Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman, Jesus was accessible. Jesus was approachable. And what I learn here in Trust Builder number four is that Jesus is adaptable. He'll meet people where they're at. He'll discern their heart need. Yes, they need a revelation of Jesus, but that revelation may come in a different way for Nicodemus than it comes in a, in a way for the Samaritan woman. So, Jesus is adaptable. So when you're talking about trust builders, trust builder number one, be present for their sake. Trust builder number two, guard what? Be willing to guard God's glory. Trust builder number three, what was it? Be available and approachable. And that translates into being uh, willing to listen. That's right. Trust builder number four, be adaptable. When you hear the heart need, don't assume that what you shared with, you know, your, your uncle over here is going to be the very same thing that your best friend needs right here. There is no cookie cutter to this. People need Jesus, yes, but they need that revelation in a way that they are already looking for. And so this is the, the art of revealing Jesus. Be adaptable. Be adaptable. And, and when we're willing to listen to people, guess what? We're actually willing to listen to the Holy Spirit, too. And he'll prompt you. He'll give you the words that you need. He'll give you the time that you need. He'll give you the love that you need for that person. All right, so recapping here, Jesus' method of building relationships of trust. He is present, so be present and be a blessing for their sake. Be willing to guard God's glory, so, which means building trust doesn't mean denying truth. And then be approachable and available, be willing to listen, and then finally be adaptable because everyone needs a revelation of Jesus. Some just need to see that revelation in different ways. All right. <clears throat> I hope this makes sense. And I hope that of these four scenes, I mean, we could probably keep going into the Gospel of John and see, you know, there's, there's actually lots of stories we could figure out here, just how Jesus actually approaches people and stuff. But I hope that just with these four, just with these four, you can now think of a family member 
or a friend that you've been wanting to lead to Jesus and you just didn't, you just didn't have their audience, so to speak. When, can, can you guys just take a moment? Take a moment. Think of one family member. Think of one friend in your immediate circle that you just have a burden to bring to Jesus. Can you think of their face? Can you think of their name just now? Give me a nod when you actually think of them. Yeah? Okay. You're thinking of them right now. Let me ask you a question. What is the quality of your relationship with them? On a scale of confidence and trust, how much confidence do they have in you? How much trust do they have in you? And if there is room for improvement there, then let me ask you the second question. What does God want me to do this week to build that trust factor? What can you do this week? What, does God, what is God calling you to do this week or in the coming weeks? Because building trust takes time. Amen, right? It doesn't happen in an instant. Apparently for the Samaritan woman, it, yeah, it did. Okay. So nothing is impossible with God. Amen. Okay. But what can we do this week? What can we do in the coming weeks? With that one person, maybe there's a couple, maybe there's three people in your mind that you're just like, how can I build confidence and trust with them? I, I can look at this list, those trust-building factors. I, I know what I need to do. I just need to be willing to be present. That's for me right now. I just need to be willing to be present and bless them for their sake. And that's what I, personally, I sense God just saying, hey, look, do it. Just be there. Be around. Be available. You know, that kind of stuff. But what is it for you? How do you need to build your trust factor with people? Are you thinking of that now? Yeah, give me, give me a nod if, if that's something that you're, okay, yeah. It's number one. Now it's number three. It's one through four. I, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever it might be. But friends, Jesus wants to reveal himself through you. Through me. And if this is how Jesus did it, then by all means, let's do it too. Let's do it too. I realize that maybe here in this congregation, there are some of us who, who are on the side of needing that revelation ourselves. And that's, that's us all the time, by the way. That's us all the time. So if you're needing to see Jesus, see Jesus like Nicodemus saw him. See him as the one who does more than just answer your questions. See him as the one who can actually overhaul your life. <laughs> Maybe you need to see him like the Samaritan woman saw him. See him as the one that not just knows your deep needs, but can actually satisfy your deep needs. He can do that. He can do that. He can supply you living water like nothing in this world can. And so let's bow our heads together as we pray. Father in heaven, today we thank you that you're the God who knows us. Lord, you know our deep need for you better than we know ourselves. And so first, I just want to pray for a converted heart. God, give us conversion. I also just pray that you would satisfy our deep need, that, that our cups would be filled and overflowing with the love of Jesus. And Lord, we give you permission that out of that love, if there are people that we can pour into, God, give us the eyes to see that. Give us the heart to want to do that. Lord, please use us to reveal Jesus to others. I pray that you would build the quality of our relationships with people, whether in an instant or over time. God, use Use the example of Jesus just to, well, would you please just live out the life of Jesus in us? Thank you so much, Father, that you want to reveal yourself to the world through us.
And we just want to say, here I am. Send me. Send me. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, let the family say, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. There's special prayer time if you need special prayer. And there's fellowship lunch in Bellamy Hill. God bless you.